This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Well, I get the pleasure of hosting another guest today who's going to share some fabulous news about how she was able to turn around inflammatory arthritis. Uh, She also has some psoriasis that she's been dealing with, and we're going to discuss that as well. Uh, She's got a job that requires her to use her hands. She plays the French horn professionally in Broadway, and so she has a, a dependency from a career point of view of having good finger movement. And we're about to hear how changing her lifestyle has enabled her to now get rid of that pain in her fingers and other parts of her body. And so now she can continue with her job in the most ideal way. So, Reagan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Clint. It's so exciting to talk to you. Tell us, uh, tell us the before and after situation with your fingers. Sure. Well, um, I have been dealing with inflammatory arthritis off and on for about 10 years. And um, it never caused a huge impact in my life until almost a year ago in May. My finger, my pinky on my left hand uh, swelled up so much that I was no longer able to push the valve on my instrument, which I depend on for income, obviously. And so it was super scary. And I'll just show you This is the instruments. This is the French horn. Mm -hmm. And um, this pinky could not make a motion that that long. Wow. Which is a very short, short range of motion, isn't it? But that little distance was the dependency (laughs) of you saving your career. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't play my warm up. I couldn't play. I couldn't play anything that I had been playing every single day for the last 20 years since I've been playing horn. So it was super scary. And I remember it really clearly because the week that it happened, I got called to play in this group that I've always wanted to play with. And it was like a last minute call. And they wanted me there the next morning and I wasn't going to get to see the music. So I'd be sight rating and they wanted me to play the lead part, like the part with all the solos. And so I started feeling something in my finger. And then by the next day, my finger was about twice as big. And I thought, okay, here's one of these flare ups. It'll go away. It's gone away in the past. The day after that, it did not go away. It was even bigger. And then by the third day, which was the day of the concert, I was just standing in my kitchen. I took a picture of my finger and I was I was just crying because I I have never I didn't understand what was happening. I had a feeling it was probably arthritis, but I never saw it coming like this to where I couldn't play my instrument. So I ended up getting through the concert, just muscling through it. It was extremely painful, but I don't think anyone noticed by hearing me play that it was a problem. And then so the week, the, the day after the concert, I was on a mission to find a way to get through this. And I called up every friend that I had that I knew had had any sort of problem with 
arthritis or any pain in their body. I said, do you have a doctor I can go to? I made all these doctor's appointments with all these different acupuncture, crani, uh, what's it called? Oste- osteopath. I saw a holistic Ayurvedic doctor, all these doctors trying to find a cure or some relief for, for this inflammation so that I could play my instrument. And then finally I came across your program. And about a week after that, actually, I came across your program, started it. And uh, slowly, I'd say about a week or two in, I could start playing the same stuff that I could play before. It was about two weeks of working up to be able to move this finger again. And since then, it's just been, there's no issues anymore. It got better each day. Every day I could do something that I couldn't do the previous day, that I didn't even know I couldn't do the previous day until I could do it again. And it didn't hurt. So super exciting. And today I have zero pain. I can play however many shows or practice however many hours I want. There's no pain in my fingers whatsoever. So super exciting. And I thank you so much for sharing the knowledge that you found with us. Oh, most definitely. You know, if this were the only result, this conversation were the only result for putting the information out there, it would be worth it, you know. Melissa always said, if it just helps one person, then it's worth putting it all together. So just this moment right now is the reward and everything else is just has been bonus, you know. So awesome. And and I believe that before we dig deep into your story and and share, you know, the the parts that you emphasized and all of the uh, auxiliary things that you did to to improve your situation, I believe also that you had pains in your knees and your feet as well, and that's also gone. Correct. Um, it was in in my toes, and my feet, my ankles, my knees, um, and that's I have no problem, especially running. Um, I can do anything running up and down stairs if I want to. Um, it doesn't, there's no problem. It's awesome. It's awesome. And I should add that we talked just before we started here that, uh, you didn't end up getting to a rheumatologist. You didn't end up getting to a doctor, did you? Because I guess when you see all the symptoms disappear uh, to, to, to put it in your words so that there's no pain whatsoever, you don't really then feel like you want to go into that world and look into you know, medication options and stuff when you feel good, do you? No, not at all. And I've always tried to avoid doctors anyway, just for my own idiosyncrasies. But um, I wanted to to try everything I could to heal this on my own before going to see a doctor. And um, and you're right, I don't have any desire to see a rheumatologist, um, even though I know that it's completely necessary for some people sometimes. Um, Luckily, I guess I caught it early. I don't know, maybe because I, it's such a small movement that arrested my entire life and I made a huge adjustment. Maybe I caught it early enough to where I didn't have to go to a doctor. I don't know, but either way, I'm super happy to be where I am now. Did you find, just before we get into your story more, is just a curious thing that sometimes sometimes people ask me in my support group, you know, my fingers hurt, should I use them or not? I'd be interested in your feedback. When your fingers were inflamed, um, using them extensively with your horn, playing regularly, did you find that it irritated them, created no difference, or actually seemed to help them? Hmm. When they were really inflamed, I couldn't use them. So Mm. 
I can't answer that mm-hmm. part of it. Um, but when, when they started to kind of come down a little bit, mm-hmm. the more I used it, the more it helped. And that's actually uh, something I wanted to tell you uh, because I also play piano. Oh. And I know a lot of people have a piano in their house, whether they play piano or not. But something about using my fingers in that very delicate motion where you're pushing, it's actually an acoustic instrument, you're pushing uh, a piece of wood that activates another piece of wood that hits a string. It's a, it's a lightweight movement and it, it's bouncing. And that really helped my fingers, even though I'm not a professional pianist or anything, but even just playing some scales, that helped my fingers a lot, actually. I would feel better the next day if I did that right before I went to bed, um, mm. just playing for 15 minutes instead of watching TV or something. So that might be something that other people that have pianos, whether they play them or not, can mm. do that could provide some relief. Yeah, I find this really interesting. I'd like you to compare that to using a keyboard. Uh, do you find that using mm. a, a regular computer keyboard offers the same relief or not? Oh, for typing, you mean? Yeah. I do. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same gentle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a gentle stroke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's similar to me. I feel I noticed a weird thing about when I had it in my feet really bad. Mm. If I went for like a little bit of a jog, yeah. slight jog, it kind of felt like it pushed the bones into alignment or the ligaments into alignment and mm-hmm. it like knocked air out of them or something. It, it, right. I felt like popping sensations. Yep. And I was always thinking, I wish there was something I could do that would be the equivalent for my hands. And so that that is actually what I found that was the equivalent for my hands was the typing or the playing the, the piano for me, which is what I did more of. Um, so yeah, it, mm. using it, once you're able to use it, using yes. it does actually help. Yeah, I find that really interesting. And it, it makes sense when we see this with the larger joints. Like if, for instance, elbows, which I've had tons of experience with over the years because my left elbow, when it was really inflamed, I was told just if it hurts to move it, then don't move it. Well, that ended up in surgery and that elbow mm. got extremely damaged by not moving it. So I, I thought I cannot do anything. I need to do something the most furthest from what I did with my left elbow for my right elbow, because the left elbow situation was a disaster. So with the right elbow, when it was inflamed, I just used to use it all the time. And the more I used it, the better it felt, even when I was doing things that actually felt a little uncomfortable. And, you know, with the fingers, it's it's such a, um, a fine balance between not wanting to load them like hold groceries in them or open a car door where you pull up hard on a, on a handle and pull the door open where the synovial tissue gets inflamed, but you want to use them. And so I really like how you've distinguished, you know, this difference where you were playing the piano, which is movement, but without loading uh, as well mm-hmm. with the, uh, with the typing there. So, you know, it makes sense to me that, you know, if we didn't have to have a joint in our body at that point, it would just be a straight bone. We lose strength by putting a joint in there as a, as a okay. species. So the joint has to be there for us to benefit uh, and it has to move. And if we don't move it, move. the fluids in that joint don't get any nutrition. And so mm. it all makes sense. And I've always been a fan of, of the concept of moving every joint. You know, it's the only purpose. And, you know, what I'm saying, I guess, in summary is that I'm glad that you found the same thing that I believe. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely. All, that's where I really <laughs> wanted to end up with that. Absolutely. Um, why do you think that this all happened? Um, did you take any antibiotics for a period of time or did you do anything really bad as a teenager with your diet to, to bring all this stuff on? What do you think may have led to this inflammation starting around 10 years ago for you? Well, about 10 years ago, I went to Brazil for three months. And in order to go there, we had to get the yellow fever vaccine. And we also had to take anti-malarial medication, which for us was doxycycline. And so I got the vaccine and I took the doxycycline for about a month before I started just not wanting to take it anymore. So I stopped. And um, I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but a year later was when I started noticing there was something weird with my fingers and I, I, I embarked down the path of alternative healing methods, mm-hmm. trying to find a way to make it not swell up. I tried all kinds of stuff throughout the years. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that may have had something to do with it. As far as diet goes, I pretty much ate a standard American diet up until I was about, well, up until about college age, and then I went vegetarian. And so that's not very healthy necessarily. So I was eating a lot of like nachos and ice cream. Um, And I know dairy is usually a huge uh, contributor to inflammation or autoimmune diseases. So um, it could have been related to that as well. The old doxycycline rears its head again. Doxycycline, of course, an mm. antibiotic was the one that I took for many years for acne. And that's the one that I took when I went over to the Middle East uh, and took three months of that. And then for me, it was about three, four months later that I got in, you know, rheumatoid arthritis. Oh. So, you know, I, you know, chalk another one, chalk another one up on the wall for at least in part, potentially for you related to, to some doxycycline. Because we don't think that it's that catastrophic. That's the thing. We think, oh, a month of anti-malaria, low-dose antibiotic, everyone's doing it. I tell you what I would love to see. I would love to see any studies coming out of the military for people who've served in the Middle East and whether or not those men have a higher uh, Mm -hmm. rate of autoimmune development than the rest of the male population at the same age. And I'd be, you know, I I don't bet on anything. Like horses, nothing. I don't gamble whatsoever. But I would would have a... uh, a verbal bet and and belief that they are going to, if not already, start to show a sign of increased autoimmune conditions by taking anti-malarial antibiotics for an extended period of time. It's going to happen. It's probably mm-hmm. happening right now for those men. That's my that's my belief. So you you think even a month in a month of taking that would have. An effect? I think a month of taking that and not doing anything to restore the populations that have been Uh, destroyed is going to have uh, some consequence. You see, if we're eating a Western diet and then we go and knock out our, our, you know, good bugs for a month, they just never get a chance to replenish. Um, Mm -hmm. They've probably just been hanging in there throughout this whole time because we're a robust species, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But if we go and do something like that for a month and then don't do anything to offset it, because it's a big intervention. Antibiotics is an enormous, very non-biological, very non-mammal, you know, mammal, non... I mean, the word antibiotic means literally means 
anti-life. That's what mm. it means, anti-life, <laughs> okay? Kill, yeah. kill, kill. That's what it does. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, so when we go and, and do that, we must do something to offset what we've just done. Right. We must, but we don't get told. We don't get told right. to. And how many people do we know just have that, by the way, I have a habit of eating tons and tons of leafy greens without <laughs> yeah. oils, and that's just my habit, right? No yeah. one has that habit. And so everyone- Yeah, and sauerkraut. Yeah, right. Yeah. Who's just pumping yeah. it? And by the way, just by buying your local sauerkraut, it's probably been flash heated when it's been put into a jar anyway. And so mm. you've, you've lost bugs there, lost enzymes there. So we right. really, actually got to be really smart about this to actually replenish those those uh, antibiotics interventions. And so my recommendations uh, is just take uh, a broad spectrum, really high quality probiotic. Mm -hmm. In Australia, there's one called Ultrabiotic 500 made by Bioceuticals. And for the rest of the world, I recommend the VSL hash three, um, which is made out of the, made out of Europe. Uh, and it needs refrigeration and shipping is a pain, but it's the best one. It's meant for ulcerative okay. colitis and stuff. So anyway, oh. I think, you know, just having a bit of a chat around this stuff, I think is useful and, and to do exactly what you said, go and find uh, a, or make at home. If you have the patience and develop some skills, um, some sauerkraut or do what we do, which is just find a local supplier of one of these uh, sauerkraut or kimchi or something and then pick one that you like the taste of and, uh, mm -hmm. and eat that. But things like Whole Foods have these big brands. Beware of the big brands, ones where, you know, there's tons of them on the shelves, they're mass produced across the country. It's unlikely that they have not been flash heated to preserve okay. them. We're, we should be sourcing our things that are uh, so sensitive, like bacterial and cultured fermented veggies, from local suppliers, it makes sense. How do you don't put this stuff on trucks and through different temperatures and sit in shelves and boxes and stuff? I mean, this is going right. to try and restore our health and our delicate microbiome. We want this to be just made a few weeks ago by, or at least only a month ago by someone up the road, you know? Right. That makes sense. Yeah. In theory, yeah. in theory, right? This is, <laughs> I know you're in Connecticut and it's freezing cold and stuff, but someone's got to be brewing <laughs> cool. this somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah, we do. We do have uh, some local options up here. New York State makes some. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yeah. into that. I've got a podcast just come out. I can say it has just come out uh, as where you and I are chatting on this recording because it um, it will have by the time our podcast now is is released. All about probiotics. So folks, if they haven't mm. watched and listened to that one already, definitely should be uh, going over that. It's such a great conversation with Jason. Cool. Now, you said you got great progress over the first few weeks. It took, took a couple of weeks and you started to notice the, the inflammation go down. What do you feel were the things that worked the most for you? Or do you feel it was just putting it all together? Give us your thoughts on the whole process. Well, the first thing that worked was definitely the diet, switching, the, doing the baseline diet, doing, I did the cleanse and then doing the baseline diet and what, what is it? 12 days. And then you start adding something each day. I added it very carefully and I, I did it in the order that you suggest the safest foods first. And so that actually ends up being quite a lot of time that mm -hmm. you're on a really basic diet. Mm -hmm. 
and I wasn't really exercising that much. I was hiking um, with my dogs, probably three to five miles a day, but I wasn't doing hardcore cardio at that time because I was getting enough progress with just what I was doing with the food. Mm -hmm. The green smoothie is great. Uh, It's I have it every morning for breakfast, and um, it, after having it, I just feel like a million bucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that's a big thing for me. Um, I also have one in the afternoon sometimes, depending on how early I woke up. Um, so the green smoothie is super important. The juices, the celery cucumber juice was really important. The papaya was very helpful. Actually, I didn't have any trouble introducing any fruit that I've introduced. I think I've introduced them all by now. They were all fine. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had trouble with other things, um, but fruit seems to be totally cool. Excellent. Which is what we want. Because if you can, if you can have the baseline foods and a bunch of fruit, a bunch of greens Mm -hmm. with your green smoothies and take a B12 supplement, you've actually hit all your nutrition. Okay. Which is just Mm -hmm. bloody ridiculously amazing. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So in that sense, you're good as long as you're eating enough so that your weight is, you stay strong and you're not, you know, losing weight. So tell us, what did you struggle with? Which foods did you find were, were too challenging or caused you some upset? Um, well, the way that the food affects me uh, so far is that it doesn't, I don't react to it right away. It takes maybe a couple of weeks oh, of wow. eating that food before I realize there's something wrong and I have to go back to baseline <laughs> And try to figure out what it was. So the the most recent one, I can tell you, Clint, with 100% guarantee that chocolate and peanut butter don't do well for me. (laughs) I've tested it multiple times (laughs) and I've really stuck with it and it doesn't work. (laughs) So chocolate and peanut butter, they're not on your list (laughs) at all. Well, I think peanut butter might be on your list eventually. But uh, no, it's not. (laughs) No, I don't like peanut butter. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, those don't work. Um, <laughs> and then um, uh, pistachios didn't work. Oh, uh, okay. But I again, I found these out like two weeks after eating this food every day. And then all mm. of a sudden, there's a big problem. Right. I, it, maybe mm. I'm not catching it when it gets inflamed just a little bit and I'm not noticing it and it takes mm. longer for me to notice it or something. But after a couple of weeks and there's a problem, there's a big problem. But when I say big problem, I'm, I'm talking like the pain goes from zero to maybe three. Yeah. That's the biggest. Yeah. Whereas the pain used to be a nine in wow. a year yeah. ago when I started this. Yeah. And then I go back on the baseline. If there's a, if there's a problem, I go back on baseline and in two days, there's oh. no problem anymore. Mm-hmm. Gone. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, I've got some thoughts around why it might take a few weeks to start to feel some inflammation and then to reset, which, by the way, is the perfect strategy. That's just literally the way that I recommend everyone do this, and that's what I did. Uh, I would expand my foods a little bit, and then, uh uh-oh, I've got a problem. Too complicated to work out. I have no idea now because I've got 15, 20 foods that I'm eating. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go back to baseline, and then I know that in two days I'll be fine. And then I will cautiously sort of try and get back quickly to where I was before I felt the inflammation. Now, that was my whole sequence over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then it, what was happening is that maybe a month would go by before I'd have to reset and sometimes two months. 
And then what I found out later is that I could reset back to a potato curry. And I was my reset diet actually just became basmati rice with white potatoes and a whole bunch of sort of curry powder with some onions. And so it was like my reset food became almost as delicious as anything else that I was eating. And it just, things actually just got easier in that sense too, because um, I really enjoyed that meal as a reset meal. Mm-hmm. Oh, another reset mm-hmm. meal became mega miso meal, you know, with miso oh, rice, yeah. seaweed and uh, basmati. That became a reset meal as well. So everything, you know, the whole, the bars were being lifted all the time away from the real true baseline. Right. And as to why maybe eating one f- a food and then it feels like a creep, I noticed this a lot with oats. And I see with, I saw with myself and I seem to see enough with other clients to notice a trend that sometimes they'll start oats for breakfast and then they'll eat them and think they're fine. But after a couple of weeks, just start to sort of start to suspect or to to point the finger at oats and think, I don't think something's right. And whilst it's very, very hard to work out what that might be or why that might be, I think it might be that oats are slightly acidifying versus most of the other foods, particularly early on, which are all alkalizing. Mm. All fruits, with the exception of like one or two, are all alkalizing. Um, The buckwheat quinoa, Amaranth, if you're eating that, all alkalizing, sweet potatoes alkalizing, the greens are alkalizing. So often people try oats as one of their first foods that are just ever so, ever so slightly acid forming in the body. And mm-hmm. when we're so delicate, this may accumulate a little bit of an acid load. And I'm talking a small amount, but we're delicate over a few weeks. And in which case I just say, look, just take a break for a day or two off the oats and then have them again. Because I do feel that long-term we should be eating oats and we aren't aiming for a 100% alkaline diet. It's not practical. It's not necessary. But at the start, it's hugely necessary and, yep, impractical, hard to do, but but beneficial. Um, and mm-hmm. so nuts, all nuts are acidifying, okay? So maybe we've just got a little bit of an acid load building up there And if you're not exercising enough to sweat out some toxins and to really alkalize the body through aerobic exercise, uh, maybe Mm -hmm. that acidity just builds up a little bit, you know? And this is Mm -hmm. why there's multiple variables. And this is why if someone's doing Bikram yoga every day or they're on a stationary bike for 30 minutes every day and really sweating, maybe they can handle the nuts at the same point, no problem. So we've got a lot of variables going on. And that explanation I gave about the, the acidity, it might not even be accurate, but I don't know anyone else in the world who's trying to work this stuff out. So that's my, right. <laughs> that's my belief system right. around this. And I have another one around nuts in particular. Uh, and that nuts, pistachios aren't the worst for this, but a lot of nuts are very, very poor in their omega-6 and omega-3 ratio. Mm. So one of the better nuts are walnuts. They have around about a Oh, gosh, I don't don't quote me, but I think it's only only like eight to one or something in terms of omega six to omega three. More omega three is what we want. That's why we got to smash the greens, the leafy greens, and baby spinach. Is because it's all omega three and no omega six, and so we're shifting the balance tremendously into anti-inflammatory mode because omega six inflammatory, omega three anti-inflammatory. 
So when we're eating lots of nuts, what we're basically doing is just throwing up the omega-6s quite high. And what I want to say again is not to not to cause alarm with people. I eat. I was looking around. Normally, I have nuts sitting everywhere on my desk. I eat a lot of nuts. Okay. Once your mm-hmm. body is okay, it's like the um, the acid. It's like the acid load thing. The body shouldn't avoid eating nuts. We just got to be careful in the early stages. And so, there's a couple ideas there that may or may not be the link between the pistachio nuts, but but uh, acid load and the inflammatory pathways of omega-6, they're just two ideas that it could be. And ultimately, nobody knows for sure. And the best way is to do exactly mm-hmm. what you did and reset. And then before you know it, you can be back, back to where you were before the problem started. And my guess is that if you keep having handfuls of nuts here and there, that um, eventually it won't cause that reaction that you, you got. Mm. So... Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also about balance because I work at night a lot, most of the time. And so I come home really late. I get home around 1 a.m. most of the time. And it's super hard not to snack on something between leaving work and going home. And so I, when I tried the pistachios and they were okay, they didn't, I didn't have a reaction for a few days. And I thought, okay, this is okay. So I started eating them every single night. Yeah. And I think, it, like you just said, it's the acid overload or it's it's a lack of balance. It was too much of one thing that was okay, but having too much of it makes mm. it not okay. I think I just said the same thing that you said in a different way. Yeah. yeah. But um, I was trying to think about it in terms of balance because the bulk of my diet is baseline diet all the time. And then I'll add something else that might be a little challenging and see how it goes, just trying to keep everything in balance. Yeah, and if we wanted to try and keep the nuts, just because I'm enjoying this sort of train of conversation, you know, you could also, ultimately what's going on, what's going, why do the nuts cause the increased inflammation? Let's think about mechanically what's going on inside the body. Well, Well, some part of that nut isn't being digested. That's what's going on, right? So mm-hmm. as you say, a little bit of something, the body can break it down, especially when it's hungry. Okay, if you're hungry, all of the arrows for digestion are being pulled back to the maximum and the digestion mm. goes bang and it just breaks everything down. You've got your bile juice being released. You've got high stomach acid in the, in the, in the stomach. You've got digestive enzymes flowing in from everywhere because your body's like, I need fuel, I need food, I need food, and everything is going to go straight to breaking down that food. So if you're hungry, eat the nuts, bang, no problem. Lots of enzymes, as I said, lots of hydrochloric acid for the proteins, and, uh, and, the, and the bile juice will take care of the fats, okay? Break down those, uh, emulsify the fats. So what may have happened as well is, you know, you're in the habit of eating the nuts, and some nights you might actually not be that not as hungry as what you've been yeah. in the past. And you're just kind of snacking because, God, they taste great, don't they? <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. T- <laughs> they taste great. And you're just like, well, I eat nuts when I come home from my gig, right? And so you're just eating your nuts maybe out of, and some nights maybe just not that hungry. And some of the, f- the power, the fire behind the mm-hmm. digestion wasn't as ready. That's another thought around this. That makes total sense. And, of course, we... You know, late night eating also is, is not a good thing. And one thing right. that, that, that Dr. Shinya says is okay from enzyme factor, and I take a lot of value into his opinion, is that 
if you're hungry at night, just eat fruit because it gets okay. digested so quick. I know it doesn't provide you with that kind of satiation that nuts do, which is, oh, believe me, I'm all about the nuts, right? But maybe what you could do is take your nuts and eat them right before the show or work out where you can have them throughout your arrangement of your day around your show at night so that you've actually basically met your caloric intake requirement before the show. Mm -hmm. And then you feel like anything you eat above, that's just a bonus. Mm -hmm. And then you can take a green smoothie, which has some dates and some frozen mangoes and bananas. If you, I think you said you can handle all fruits, put some bananas in there and seal it right to the top so there's no air in it in a nice glass container or something that you might invest in that looks nice and you feel good about owning and have it on your ride home from the, um, mm. from the, from the show on the train ride home and taste sweet, just like a reward, almost like having a drink after the gig, you know, like that kind of mm-hmm. celebration feeling. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Explore that. Just explore that. I know that I like going when I perform. To, I like going to the show knowing that I don't have to eat anything beyond the show to try and make up my energy requirements. I don't want to feel like I'm going to lose weight if I don't eat after the gig because, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I, and so, uh, yeah, I try and on days that I'm working that night, I'll have a, my uh, real early dinner and it'll be a big dinner because I know that if I'm going to eat early, I can eat big. That's not going to be any problem for my digestion at all because it's early in the day and our digestive power falls off with the light. Not maybe one to one, but it, there's, as we get dark, digestive power softens. So if, there's, if it's no 4.30 in the afternoon, boom, I'm going to have a massive meal as if it was a second lunch. And then I know that I'm fine. I'll digest it pretty good because of the time of the day. So that's a strategy I do when I'm working at night. That's a great idea. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. I, I've been, um, I, I'm kind of famous for having my Tupperwares because um, right. I take them with me. I eat before the gig and then I have uh, the baseline meal before the gig. And then I have another one for after the gig. And so that's what I've been doing is eating another baseline diet after the gig. But I find that I'm not hungry enough to eat the whole thing. And so mm-hmm. I'll just have the salad and the sweet potato part. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting that what you said about eating the calories before the show. The bulk of it, yeah. The uh, bulk of it. You know, yeah, I think as a, as a rule of thumb, we should eat our biggest meal at the, at the middle of the day. I've pushed this really hard. I've just eaten like enormous meals recently as I'm back at the gym again and, and starting to feel stronger again. And, you know, my elbows are uh, uh, behaving well and trying to do chin-ups and stuff I haven't done for a while. And so I'm just, you know, really um, pushing the lunchtime meal. And, um, yeah, it's almost like you can get away with anything at lunchtime. You almost mm-hmm. can. Digestion's just okay. ready. It's just like if you're going to make mistakes, do it at lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <Yeah. laughs> um, so you mentioned psoriasis before. And, and before we started this uh, conversation, I think you just mentioned it in passing. So I don't know whether or not your psoriasis has improved or not. And what what have you done over the over the years to try and bring it under control? And is it under control now? Um, it's not spreading. It's um, it's kind of in the same 
place that it has been for the last year or so. Um, and yeah, I've I got psoriasis. I started when I was in middle school, um, so about ten or eleven years old, and it used to be much worse. And um, I went to the dermatologist, and they gave me topical stuff to put on it, which kind of worked, kind of didn't. Is that um, steroid, like topical steroids. Steroids, yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, and so I've just kind of lived with it. It's really embarrassing, um, you know, to have that on your body. Um, I don't have it all over my body, luckily just in a few spots, but, um, it's, uh, nerve wracking and, um, yeah, I just kind of dealt with it. I went to one dermatologist who said he could laser it off for me, but like I said, I'm shy to around doctors. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't really like to get medical treatment if I don't have to. So, um, I passed on that. And um, yeah, I just, every once in a while, I'll put some steroid cream on it and mm. it's, it's fine. Mm. It's just there. Yeah. Um, it's not getting worse at all, but um, yeah, yeah. It, I don't, I don't think that it's changed. It may, it may have changed a little bit since starting your program and the, and the fact that the, the topical creams seem to work better now than they did in the past. Mm. Um, so for whatever reason, I'm sure that has something to do with healing the gut. Mm. Um, but it, it still hasn't gone away completely. But um, the, the, the cream does, is more effective now than it used to be, for sure. Yeah, I think that's uh, that what you've just described is similar to what I've heard from other people with not so much a psoriatic arthritis situation where the arthritis is the main focus and it's just a little bit of psoriasis, sometimes not even psoriasis in the diagnosis. But if we're talking just true psoriasis patches, you know, these things are stubborn, aren't they? I mean, they really mm -hmm. do have a, uh, a persistence that's, um, I imagine, extremely frustrating. And uh, not having been through it myself and therefore having any... Um, you know, major insights to share with you. Uh, the only thing that I can say I observed firsthand was when I was doing a comedy tour with a friend of mine who's well, well famous in this country. Um, and he and I were doing juicing together like crazy. Some little things here and there improves for, uh, mm. for this gentleman. So yes, let me I've just leave it at that. Working. Yeah. Yeah. So I, f I think that the more raw you go with psoriasis, I think there's mm. an opportunity for improvements there. Okay. Yeah. I will definitely explore that. So, for example, if you wanted to just as an experiment over one weekend or if you have got a week off or something, maybe just try for two days just doing the majority of your foods being through green smoothies and just mm -hmm. increase the calories by adding lots more dates and just make them. and then. You know, just see whether or not you can influence it. That's the thing. If you've got an influence on it and you can observe it, then you've got power over it. Mm, so okay. I think right now you might be still looking for what? It, how can I get some power over this without this, the cream and stuff? What else can I do? The other thing mm -hmm. I would do is just yeah, do some mega dose probiotics on, on it and see if that does anything as well. So some, yeah, some serious probiotics and see if that can influence okay. it. Um, okay. They'd be the two places that I would start and just to see because okay. 
because you've obviously developed a lot of skill around you know, getting on top of the the pains with the uh, with the arthritis, and so now you, know, you can move on to stage two. And what can we do about the psoriasis? It'd be good, right? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to share anything else with us uh, about your experience, any tips that you have or any interesting stories that you've you've built up by doing this? Well, I mentioned before that I wasn't really exercising much, but mm. I wanted to include that that has changed in the last couple of months. I have a really nice road bike. And um, so when all this started a year ago, I knew that I needed to exercise and I got my road bike and tried to put it on the stationary trainer so I could ride it in the house. Well, my hands were so inflamed that when I went to open the valve to put air in the tire, my hand actually broke the valve because it, my hand was so stiff just trying to turn it and put the bike pump on it. It broke the valve. So I couldn't I couldn't even pump the air in the tire. <laughs> um, so that has changed so much that a couple of months ago, I said, you know what? I need some more direct cardio exercise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this bike back out. Clint, I got the bike out. I, I changed the tire myself. I not only, I took the tube off or whatever. I don't even know the terminology, but I had enough dexterity in my hands to remove the tube from the tire with the tire irons and like put the other tube back in there and do all this stuff that I couldn't, I could never have dreamed of doing before. I couldn't even pump air in it before. And I was able to change the entire tube this time. And now I ride my bike every morning um, on the stationary trainer. I wake up, here's my routine. I wake up, I take a sweet potato, I put it in the oven and then I chop some uh, ginger and I put it with some boiling water and that boils. And then I work out on my bike for 45 minutes. Oh. And by the time I'm done with the workout, the potato's ready and the ginger tea is ready. And I'm ready to start the day. I have my green smoothie. I feel like a million bucks. And then I also installed a pull-up bar um, inspired by your story with your elbow. I installed a pull-up bar in my house. And um, every I can't do a pull-up yet. But every time I walk by it, I just hang off of it. I do a little bit of pull-ups because um, it's it's really it's strengthening the whole hand. I feel it, and I can hang off of it for much longer than I ever could before, and I can pull up further than I could before. So I'm actively pursuing these uh, strengthening and exercises, and then also the cardio. I uh, you made some comment about I don't remember where you said it, but the cardio clears out the what did you say? The immune complexes in the joints. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what you said. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that just clicked with me, although mm-hmm. I couldn't remember it, but it clicked and I said, that's what I need to do. And I, and so I just, I've equated like sweating, sweating it out, sweating the inflammation out in a way. And I see it coming out of my hands and I'm like, yeah. yes, that's it. We got to yeah. get more sweat. And so I, I work out now hardcore every day. And um, that's, it's definitely um, accelerating the healing process as well. That's so good. I'm so, I'm I'm so glad that you're doing all that, not just for yourself, yeah. but I want anyone who's watching this or listening to this, please take note. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. said that throughout his career that his father told him you should earn your meal by working out, doing something physical, and then your body's ready to eat after that. And it comes back to what we talked about a minute ago about having hunger, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. your body's 
primed after doing this big workout in the morning. You've woken up, boom, you're sweating, detoxifying, getting everything going. I mean, I'm just so excited about the whole process that you've just described. And then you come off the bike, everything's moving better, your heart rate's up, you've detoxified, you've cleared all your joints, and then you're hungry. So you eat your meal, you deserve your meal, your body's rewarded. This whole process is fantastic. Hanging from the bar, I swear, really helps the fingers, helps the hands. Mm. It improves grip strength. It says to the fingers, hey, you little buggers, you got to do something. (laughs) If you want to work well, you have to earn it, and it it really does. I love the whole hanging thing, not just for – and people will say, but my fingers hurt, and if I try and hang from a bar – then I think that like it's going to inflame them. This is so counterintuitive, but I swear that hang, hanging, uh, holding a bar, not like holding groceries where the, the, the thin, the very thin piece of plastic from the groceries really gets into those fingers and causes them to really swell. But when we hold mm-hmm. a bar, it's like our whole, particularly a thick bar, I like thicker bars, when we hold mm-hmm. a quite a thick bar, then it's kind of it's just um, so uh, such a natural position for the hands to squeeze their fingers around, and it seems to disseminate the pressure evenly throughout the hand and fingers, so it doesn't seem to cause the problems with the synovial tissue. So oh, I would encu- I would encourage anybody. I believe everyone should have access to a gym, or Bikram, and in your case, you've managed to set up a home overhang bar, which can be done in a doorway, right? I'm sure you've just put it in your mm-hmm. doorway. Yep. Right. And to try these things, we've got to experiment. If something's stuck, something's not moving forward, going backwards, do something massive and see whether or not you can impact it positively. And that's the mm-hmm. thing, you know, like to talk about yes. the psoriasis. What can we do to impact it? How can we get mm-hmm. some result and then keep doing it over and over again? And so if the fingers mm-hmm. are going backwards, locking up, not moving, stiff, go and try and like hang from a bar from a little bit at the local uh, local kids' playground, <laughs> you know? I'd, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I missed the gym one day in Orlando about a year ago and I nearly got locked out of a kid's playground at 8 o'clock at night because I was in there <laughs> trying to do chin-ups and stuff. And the security comes over and thinks I'm because in the states they you know they they think everyone's some kind of thief or a criminal, and they're like, "What are you doing, sir?" And I'm like, "I'm I'm just doing some chin ups in a kids' playground." Like we're shutting this playground. I need you to leave immediately. And I'm like, "Okay." And I just felt okay. I didn't know they were shutting the playground, just a public park. But I was going to get locked in with my car and everything. So anyway, look, yeah. We got it. We just got to continue to push, push, push. And uh, what you just described, you can tell I'm, I'm chatting a lot. I'm excited. What you just described <laughs> is so good. And this is why I also feel that um, you get the progress that you've got and you get the results that you deserve. The work you're putting in is just, it's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, also very helpful for me is the Wim Hof breathing. Oh, good. Um, I do that a lot. And I do some of his other exercises as well. Super helpful. I do the breathing on my train ride in every day because my train ride mm-hmm. is an hour, and that takes up the whole hour. <laughs> so you do an hour I, of it. I, I do an hour of it. Wow, you are hardcore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, that well, is awesome. <laughs> you gotta be. You gotta <laughs> you know, be. You've gotta be. You gotta be. You gotta be. 
You got to be like if someone's if if someone's watching this right now, just sitting on their couch and just, and and doing nothing as they watch this. Just get up and do something. Just just reach down, touch your toes, stretch your lower back, or put your arms up in the um, in the air and move them around a little bit. Come on, just like get moving, do something, yep. or go over yep. and make yourself a smoothie. Be relent, mm-hmm. be relentless, right? In the attempts yeah. to improve, relentless, relentless. Mm. Yep. I would be back when I had a bunch of pain. I would be at a rehearsal, and if we had a ten-minute break, I would go backstage and do jumping jacks just to get the blood flowing because I felt better after doing that. Every chance I got, I every second that I had, all I was doing was thinking about what can I do? Do I need to awesome. do yoga? Do yeah. I need to meditate? Do I need to lay on the ground? What do I need to do? Do I need to stretch? And I w- it, it was every it occupied every second of my time. On mm. the train on the way in, before I had discovered the Wim Hof breathing, I would take my horn out and I would try. I would I was so in such a bad way that I I would just try to push the valve before mm. the gig. I didn't. Mm. I would I would I would be on the way to the gig, not knowing whether oh. or not I'd be able to push my valve once I got there. My God. And I've gone from from that to I can play I can play three hours a day, I can play 15 shows a week, whatever I need to do, there's no pain. And that's because I took every second that I could and I tried to do something to make this condition better. And that's what we have to do. And oh. your program, your your interviews, when I was going through this uh, in May, that was everything for me. Hearing the stories of other people that, we're in a much worse condition than I was in. People that couldn't get out of bed, couldn't walk to the bathroom. Hearing these stories of these people that completely reversed their lives on your program made me know that I could do it too. Mm. And I, I didn't tell anybody when I was going through this. I, had, I didn't tell anybody because the reason I didn't tell anyone is because when you tell people okay, my hand is so swollen that I can't play my instrument, but I'm going to heal it with diet. <laughs> they don't, it doesn't go that well, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're going yeah. to get on your case and tell you you've yeah. got to go to the doctor. They're going to yeah. freak out. And I, that's the last thing that the person having that experience needs is someone else freaking out on their behalf. Oh, so yeah. I just kept to myself, kept quiet. Didn't tell, I didn't tell anybody didn't tell my family. I didn't tell my best friend until my hand started getting better two weeks later. And then I said, hey, look at this picture of my finger from two weeks ago. You're never going to believe what's happening. <laughs> yeah. So so the inspiration from hearing those stories, I listened to every podcast and that was everything to me. And I love when I get to hear somebody say, you know, one day I was just in the kitchen putting away the, the cups and I reached up and I put away a glass and I started crying because I realized mm. I could never put away a glass before. Things like that. For me, it was pulling my shirt sleeve up. The first time I could do that, I just bust out crying because it's like that took two months before I could do that or like open the gas gauge on the car or roll down the car window these little things that you don't think about, it's so inspiring when, when you hear other people 
rediscover their ability to do them. And then when you yourself start to little by little be able to do something that you couldn't do before, it's just, it's just the best. It's the best. Isn't it? Isn't it? And I love how you said earlier that we kind of forget what we previously took for granted. And so we don't realize that we couldn't do it until we do it again. You know, that concept that you mentioned? Yeah. Mm. You have no idea. I had no idea that I couldn't clip my fingernails without pain until I clipped them without pain. (laughs) I I sent a text to to my friend. I said, I can clip my fingernails without pain. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. It's just, it's just so inspirational. So that was really helpful listening to all your podcasts. Yeah. Exercising. I made a list of the things I wanted to say that were very helpful in case it helps someone else. Um, Epsom salt baths also, I feel relief from them. Uh, Yoga, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then getting enough sleep makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know for, I'm sure it does for everyone else, but um, that's a big thing. And I didn't realize I had always had trouble in the morning for years. And I I didn't realize until I woke up in the morning without pain that I had been waking up in the morning with so much pain that that's why I didn't want to do anything in the morning ever. Mm. Um, So that was interesting as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, most definitely. Well, uh, it's just been fun to listen to your, you know, evolution. And uh, I, I, when I hear people like yourself describe the sorts of daily habits that I know are going to sustain your health long term, that's when I feel this pure joy because I know that what you're talking about in your your improvements isn't fleeting. It's not temporary, right? When I don't have the same level of elation is if someone tells me a story and I don't normally invite the following folks onto a podcast at this point. But when someone tells me a story that they came off methotrexate mm, two months ago, two, three months ago, they don't exercise that much, but they're feeling no pain, they feel great. I think, mm, let's give you 12 months and just see how you're doing before we kind of just see really where you're at here because two months after methotrexate, it still could be lingering a little bit in your body. You know, you're not exercising, that concerns me. And I just feel, look, do we really, do we have a a case here, a situation where this is going to be extremely long-term success or or, or are we at risk here of things starting to uh, slip a little bit now that the person's no longer on the drugs and they maybe could do some more things with uh, inflammation reduction as a preventative measure? And so I feel a little concerned about that. And then like, and if people want to share their story, I'm like, oh, let's just wait a little while. Increase your exercise. Give it a few months. We'll just see, see how you go in a few months. But when I, you know, hear of your, you know, morning routine that we went through in detail, I just feel such confidence about your future. You know, mm. I feel like you have the equivalent of like the world's best insurance policy against something going wrong. And mm-hmm. insurance should be in our health, in our personal lives, for our health, just like we spend the money to insure our car. 
And your insurance is what you're doing each morning, the way that you're eating, the way that you're exercising. Goodness me, it's brilliant. And the way that you really just do what it takes to, to keep well. And it's, you know, that's why I get so happy hearing mm-hmm. what you've described because I'm like, you go, Reagan. Like, this is, you're crushing it. You know, you're crushing it. And that's what we want. We want crushing it. We don't want a little bit better feeling this. We want freaking crushing it. That's what we want. Mm. Yeah. We want it. We want it gone. Yeah. It's got to go. It's got to go. (laughs) (laughs) I love the word crushing. And it came, crushing came from Denny. One of our Mm -hmm. early success stories goes way back. Denny Prale from the Netherlands. Great guy. Can't wait to meet him in person one day. The word, the reason crushing is so good and we like saying that so much is because it feels so complete as one thing, but also it feels like um, even if we overexert the amount of effort needed to create the result, then that is is a better than only just exerting the right amount of effort to meet the enemy. But we go mm-hmm. way over and above what's needed because we don't want any room for error here, you know? It's right. Like if it's, you've got one sore little pinky finger, well, that deserves at least half an hour on a bike, right? Yes. Not not <laughs> a stroll. Not a stroll. No. No. A little no. sore pinky that deserves at least half an hour a day on a bike. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You've got to you've got to crush it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only way. Yeah. So thank you. I think we've come to a, a nice point to wrap it up. Um, okay. uh, all the stuff you've shared is is brilliant. Um, super excited to hear about your, your how you work on Broadway. I mean, that must have been putting aside the, the health stuff. Must have been a dream come true to work regularly on Broadway. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the best job ever. Yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, you, are you part of are you part of a, a, a an orchestra that performs many nights, or do you perform for different sort of famous people as part of their orchestra behind them, or what sort of jobs do you normally get? Um, I basically they do all kinds of stuff. The bulk of it is Broadway. So like they call it subbing when we play. It's not my Broadway show, but it's someone else's Broadway show. And then they get sick or they don't want, they don't want to do it or whatever. So they call a sub and that's me. Um, so I'm now subbing on a few different ones. You've probably heard of Phantom of the Opera. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Frozen, a bunch of different shows, Wicked. Um, I sub at them and I also do like, orchestral stuff um freelance i'm a freelancer so i i play when they call um that's wonderful (laughs) at the frozen at the frozen gigs is it full of kids yeah yeah (laughs) there are a lot of kids yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's a kids show yeah and wicked too kind of has a lot of kids yeah it's fun cool 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 Yeah. yeah no i um I think that is just that's just wonderful uh what a gift to be able to play music and uplift people and make them feel wonderful for the hour or two that they're in the audience. Well, and there's a, there's a lot of musicians that experience arthritis and they don't say anything because Mm. the last thing you want anyone to know is that you're having trouble playing your instrument. Mm -hmm. So I've, since having this, having had this experience, I've, I've posted about it on Facebook and a ton of people have come up to me and asked me for the information on your program. What did I do to get this? Because they have a little bit of pain in their hand, but mm. they don't know if it's arthritis or some people have a lot of pain. And it's mm. so it's, there's a big, 
I'm glad to put yeah. this out there for the musician community who may, maybe they don't, or any community that they don't have a full on diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, but they have a little bit of inflammation or a lot or whatever that's bothering them. They can be healed with this method as well. Mm. The diet and the exercise, it's, it, it works. Mm. I didn't tell you my numbers, my blood yeah, test please. numbers. Yeah. Um, okay. So the big one is the rheumatoid factor. Uh-huh. It went from 31 to 15. Wow. Yeah. All right. This is this was tested in May and in December. So okay. 31 to 15. My ESR went from 11 to 9. Mm-hmm. And my CRP, interestingly, kind of stayed the same at 5. Mm-hmm. And at, the second time I got the high sensitivity one, and that one came back actually as 6. But mm. the normal one was five both times. Mm. So anyway, I just wanted to tell you, I, I was super excited about the rheumatoid factor going from 31 to 15. Oh, and my ANA autoimmune went from positive to negative. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, we, you don't see the rheumatoid factor come down much, and it's something that uh, doesn't alarm me if someone's rheumatoid factor doesn't come down. But when it does come down, obviously that's really cool. Okay. So mine, sorry, I should say mine came down, but didn't come to normal. Okay. Uh, nor did Monica Agrawal's, Dr. Monica Agrawal, uh, who uh, is a doctor who I interviewed on an early, in an early podcast. You can search for her and listen to that. And we talk about rheumatoid factor. And as a clinician, she talks about how the concern is not associated with that marker. It's associated okay. with the inflammation markers. So what would be interesting um, is if we'd have known what your C-reactive protein was before, you know, when you were when you're young, had no inflammation even to think of, you know, because some people might sit around that level anyway. Like your your oh. low marker might be around four or five. You know, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. But um, I'd I'd uh, test it again in a couple of months and just keep an eye on it. But if you're not feeling inflammation in the body. And you don't, you're not aware of anything else going on, like a, a chest cough, um, some kind of uh, short-term injury, hurt yourself. If there's no other contributor to the inflammation, you don't feel any in your body, and you're getting fives consistently, I personally would start to develop a feeling of, of satisfaction that that's kind of where my body was sitting at. It's still considered, oh, okay. still considered normal, right? Five still considered normal. Okay. Uh, mm. I, I always heard you say that you you uh, you like it less than one, but so Look, that was my goal. <laughs> yeah, less than one's fantastic. But if you're not feeling any inflammation and and it's sitting at five, then it's hard to find how hard to see where that extra four drop in four is going to come from. You know, and right. that's what I say. It'd be nice to have known. Okay. It'd be nice to have known before all this. Um, where you were sitting at, but that's obviously who goes and gets a blood test when they feel great. Nobody, right? Right. right. So just keep an eye on it. You know, just keep okay. an eye on it. Your, your said rate of nine is also really uh, normal. Like it's up to twenty millimeters per hour, and yours is at nine. You know, it's very sort of um, you know non eyebrow raising. It's just like okay, oh yeah, just like anyone on the street kind of thing. Nine. Okay. But yeah, I think, you know, just see if you can get the C-reactive protein down from five because that's at the upper limit of normal and it'd be nice to get it down a couple of notches. I'm uh, just not sure where you're going to find it if you're feeling good already. So don't mm-hmm. don't be, 
tremendously discouraged if it stays sitting around the um the five mark you know maybe that's where it, that's where it's that's where it's going to sit okay you know i've seen Do you people think that- i've, I've oh, seen sorry. people who have been blown up like totally lit up throughout their whole body and they've got like normal c-reactive protein okay oh, wow. so okay. it's not like and your so your c-reactive protein compared to someone else's is incomparable it, you cannot draw a comparison because okay because it's um it's like how does your body respond to inflammation compared to someone else's body and, and they respond very differently and so all that we can use this measurement for is a comparison between our own measurement and another one of our own measurements and that's it never compared to somebody else okay mm. That makes so, sense. Yeah. So you you just may have a very, very sensitive reaction to inflammation in the blood and a, just a little bit going on there and it's showing up a five, which is upper normal. And so, you know, that might be just, you know, where it sits and okay. may, maybe you can get it down. Not sure. Yeah. Certainly, okay. certainly not having the pain in the joints, moving freely, doing, feeling super healthy, no pain again, and just waking up, no morning stiffness. I mean, it's hard to yeah. hard to improve upon that, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So, so yeah. yeah, so that's that's ultimately it's ultimately how we live our life that we're that we're aiming for maximum maximum health, you know, maximum mm-hmm. lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, and and having complete control. What you say is mm. true. I really do feel like I have complete control over mm. this condition. I know it's not gone. I know mm-hmm. I'll probably always have it, mm-hmm. but I I have complete control over it. It's so it's great. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Thank you so much, Clint. All right. No worries. Well, really great chatting with you. Thanks for sharing your story and uh, keep oh. up the fabulous work. Thank you. Thank you for all your help and all the people that you've helped. We, I, I, I don't even know what to say. It's just, it's everything to be able to feel this way. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Pattison Program. For more information, visit pattisonprogram.com.